please be advised. Spoiler alert episode. Spoiler. Please be advised. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. All right, spoiler, uh, spoiler uh, episode. Spoiler we're, do, we're doing it. Ninety-five. Mm-hmm. We've done ninety-five spoiler reps. Mm-hmm. So this is. Uh, well, let me say this: we usually do about one spoiler up a month. So I feel like spoiler up one hundred and episode five hundred could coincide with each other. It'll be pretty close. Our six hundredth mm-hmm. episode. I think we should figure out a way to make it coincide. I think so too. And our mm-hmm. six, our five hundred slash one hundred, our six hundredth episode. Should be one massive, crazy, spoiler app laden freak out. <laughs> well, when you pitch it like that, how can, you know what I mean? how can they say no? A spoiler freak out. Why haven't we thought of that before? I think it should be one <laughs> big, crazy. Mm-hmm. You should do a spoiler app for something like incredibly obvious, like this week, Wizard of Oz. We're doing something special. <laughs> something, something. Empire mm-hmm. Strikes Back. Find out who Luke's dad is. <laughs> so we will be uh, we'll be talking about Rocket Man, and as you know, this is a spoiler app, so we'll be um, deconstructing the film, talking about the beginning, the middle, and the end. So if you haven't seen it and you're curious as to how it ends and you don't want it ruined for you, I don't think this episode's going to make much of a difference. Nah, <laughs> I think it's, really it's Elton John. I think you know. Um, yeah. Spoiler alert. So. He's gay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> still um, making music. Still, still making, making music. music yeah. Not dead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was uh, fairly successful at it. He was so. successful. He did pretty okay. And yeah. shocker, Rockstar had a drug issue. Yeah. Rockstar got into some yeah. drugs and some mm-hmm. trouble. Um, well, our guest, uh, he's been on the show before, uh, Ron Placone who has his own YouTube show called... Get Your News On With Ron. What is yeah. that? Where can I see it, Ron? So when you can, can I see You it? can find that on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Ron Placone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do that every Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, it's a live stream where people tweet me what they want to talk about in the news, and that's how we build the show. So, like, the big thing is we're all getting our news together. It's just like, hey, time to do my civic duty, find out what's going on in the world. So we do it on a live stream. So it's fun. And, uh, and yeah, it's also in podcast form as well. So you can get that on oh, nice. iTunes or wherever else you get podcasts. And the, the podcast just comes out once a week. So it's just kind of a summary of all the stuff we talked about or and some of it. you're working on, so you're a big proponent of municipal broadband and mm-hmm. also saving net neutrality. And you have a big project you're working on with that. What is that? I am. So on June 11th, we are having an epic all-day live stream for net neutrality. I'm working with an organization called Fight for the Future. They brought me on board for... For this uh, for this project, so I'm I'm trying to get the word out to YouTubers and podcasters and everyone uh, who's interested in this issue. Without net neutrality, we would not have the free and open internet. The internet as we know it would just cease to exist, uh, and pretty much all independent shows would go away, more or less. So, it'd but be, aren't be... giant telecom companies there to protect us? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they say that, but it's kind of weird. They they say that we don't have anything to worry about, and they'll just keep the internet as it is. But they don't want these protections in place to make them do it. To me, it kind of sounds like someone being like, you know, I would never murder anybody, so I don't know why we have laws against murder. Seems like an overreach. No, it isn't. No, it isn't, creepy pants. It totally isn't. So they they don't want net neutrality because they plan on taking advantage of it. So uh, what happened was... There was a bill that passed the House that basically reinstated net neutrality because we used to have it until Trump's FCC took it away. Uh, But the Senate said they're not going to even take up this bill. So on June 11th, we're having an epic all-day live stream. The website for it is epiclivestream.com. And uh, we're going to be streaming all day to uh, to get the word out for net neutrality and to send a message to Congress and the FCC and the Internet at large that we want to keep the Internet free and open. We want to keep the Internet weird and we demand net neutrality. So. All right. So check it out. That's uh, June 11th. June 11th. EpicLivestream.com. Okay. Whatever cool. your politics, I'm sure you use the Internet and you don't want it restricted by massive corporations. That's the thing. I mean, net neutrality, 83 percent of people are for it. And that's across, yeah, that's on the left, that's on the right, that's in between, like mm-hmm. 83% of people. And and I think the other 17% just aren't familiar with what well, it is. Once you, <laughs> once you get over 80, that means we can't have it. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. Pretty, that's a safe bet. Uh, yeah, so, yes. Safe bet. Um, anyway, uh, you know what else we have? Uh, 
uh, Patreon sponsors, wow. Graham. Wow. At, uh, at, at the $50 ad tier, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank these uh, wonderful patronies. What are we calling them now? Patronies? Patreon sponsors? Did we even name them? Yeah. <laughs> we give them um, a new thing? Our members, we appreciate all of you guys at the Patreon uh, that are Patreon subscribers. It really helps us out every single month. And uh, the ad tier, you get your name, you get your website, and a uh, brief one-line description that all of you have gone over. Okay, so uh, Johnny Rulon, he's promoting his novel titled Green Cheek, and Junkie's Guide to Street Magic. It's on Amazon in both digital form and hard copy. It's an experimental stream of consciousness novel, which follows the exploits of the Eunice Calliope and Immortal over TS on a journey through time, dreams, and the hidden places of a supernatural America. HappyHorrorShowProductions.com, HappyHorrorShowProductions.com. Fanboy Planet, a website and podcast for all things geeky and amazing. Check out Fanboy Planet for your comic news, your movie news, TV news, and amazing interviews with industry insiders and artists. FanboyPlanet.com. And from Chris Parker Howard, Coffee Over Suicide, a dramedy podcast about mental illness and choosing life over death. One cup of coffee at a time. New episodes every Friday, wherever podcasts are found. Find out more at coffeeversuicide.com, coffeeversuicide.com. And Alice Frazier, co-host of the Bugle Podcast, host of Tea with Alice, brings you a series of three genre-bending solo stand-up shows that explore the boundary between comedy and tragedy. They were recorded back-to-back as a three-hour show at the Melbourne uh, International Comedy Festival um, with a binaural microphone. So check out alicefrazier.com with an S, alicefrazier.com. And last but not least, The Art Podcast, new episode with writer Mark Silver talking about the realities of art and life. The Art Podcast on social media and theartpodcasts.com with an S. All right, let's get into it. Elton John, Rocket Man. First of all, Ron, did you like the film? Yes, I did like the film. Mm-hmm. Oh, and a real quick aside, I thought of this, so I got to share it. You guys could call your Patreon, your, your patrons, Film Pats. Oh, just throwing it out bad. there. If you want to use it, go ahead. Throw <laughs> it out there. Film like film patriots. Film, yeah, mm, like film, film patriots. Film pats. Right. Nice. Like so that's a nice ring, right? CFN mm-hmm. <laughs> film pats. All right. I like All it. All right. Mm-hmm. Ron, way to go. All, All right. right. Let's put Ron, a hashtag make it on, on a T-shirt that. for us. Right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need more merch to stay in your garage. <laughs> I know. Um, so you said you did like the film. I did enjoy the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big Elton John fan. Uh, You're I a music up, nerd overall. I'm so a pretty big music nerd. Okay. And I like, in fact... Real quick, a lot of when Ron and I are on the road and we're driving from town to town, we spend a lot of time in the car together. It's him talking about some band and me going, oh, I don't know who's that. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard of them. Never That's, heard a of that. it. <laughs> That's a lot of it. That's a lot of it. But uh, yeah, well, no, it's, I, I thought about it. There's only two... You don't know who Leon Redbone is. He just passed away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who did he play for? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's only two cassettes that I ever completely wore out to the point where they wouldn't work anymore. And, mm-hmm. and I had to think about this because I don't remember it. And it was uh, an Elton John's Greatest Hit cassette mm-hmm. and Nirvana's Nevermind. Mm-hmm. And it was around the same time in my life, too. Like, I was around mm-hmm. the same age. And even back then, that was totally normal for me to go from Elton John to mm-hmm. Nirvana. I didn't mm-hmm. think anything of it. Mm-hmm. All these years later, it's totally not unusual for me to go to the Mountain Goats to Steely Dan. I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. I like a lot of music. And uh, Again, I... there was a name in there I've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that time I have to agree. Steely Dan, <laughs> yes. Don't Mountain Goats have no yeah. idea. No. Is it? They're Mountain like Goat? a lo-fi like folk indie rock yeah. band. So it's like they're kind of <laughs> like they're very different from Steely yeah. Dan. The open oh. for the Jug Band trio. The, yeah, so. I mean, if... <laughs> so I, say that a lo-fi. So say what? What? what they're like what? a lo, like, like a lot of like a lo-fi folk ang- band. <laughs> Ron sees this like is what I'm talking about. Down, it's like like right. Okay, so Ron says that with music. a straight face, like we're all supposed to know yeah. what that means. A lo-fi uh, folk band. And how do you strip down a folk band even further? You just take away their instruments <laughs> so at they that just, point. So there's no strings in the yeah, banjos. Yeah. Like how do you lo-fi that, Ron? The, 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 well, the melody are just just yelled out symbols, like, like not actual <laughs> language, mind you. Just just the symbols yelled out, and and then okay. they, they, they have lyrics. They have lyrics. <laughs> it's like a hillbilly Gregorian chant. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. I got it. It's like a yeah. samurai without any steel. It's like, just like just post-fusion, pre-folk, <laughs> proto-punk, <laughs> math rock. Graham. That's it. Yeah. Oh, Everybody. Oh, I did yeah. just to say that. Chalmers been around for years. Yeah. I mean, it's really uh, they love it in Germany. I it's, love. <laughs> A, like three <laughs> level below subgenre. <laughs> I just fucking love this. This, this is our, and so that we have this conversation, then going back and forth between politics. <laughs> this is us driving on the road, <laughs> and then we come to a middle ground. 
on politics. On Elton John. On Elton John. <laughs> on Elton John. I'm like, Elton John, you're into yeah. that, right? <laughs> Bulldog soccer and hockey. Um, so... So you like the film. Did you uh, like the way it was uh, structured, like as a musical rather than a biopic? You know, at first I thought I wasn't going to like that, mm-hmm. but then it kind of grew on me. Because, like, first of all, I knew I was going to like the soundtrack because it was right. all Elton John songs. Sure. So I wasn't worried about that. Mm-hmm. But I kind of was like, well, what would this take away from, you know, sort of like the plot of it? Because I, I really do like, you know, when I go to like a rock biopic I don't need it to be 100% historically accurate, which Mm -hmm. this movie was not, and and we can talk about the details there. Um, That doesn't bother me as long as it doesn't really compromise the overall like theme of the story. Okay, and and in this case, I really felt like it didn't. I, 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 you know. Was some of the music out of place chronologically? Yes, it was. Like Mm -hmm. for instance, you mean like when he was singing a song as a kid? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yes 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 when he was singing the bitches back as a yeah. as a child he didn't write that song until yeah. about 30 years later yeah. probably so that, that's one for instance that's but uh but at the troubadour mm-hmm. the troubadour so there's a scene where he's playing the troubadour in la yes. for the first time which mm-hmm. was a legendary concert that happened in 1970 right uh he would not have opened with crocodile rock in fact he didn't he opened with your song mm-hmm. crocodile rock would not have come around until a couple years later um but and even back then i like as i saw the movie i was like there's no way he would have played that mm-hmm. uh like i think i actually whispered that to my fiance i'm like i'm pretty sure he wouldn't have played this she's like shut up i don't care i'm watching this. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> what ron i don't care what low fusion yeah. <laughs> she's <laughs> like i get it you're gonna <laughs> but um and, and that was later like i read like where yeah he did not play that but that song was still from the same era. I mean, right. that song came out in 73. It's associated with that part of his career. And I thought that it was still a really cool scene because I think the theme that they were trying to get across is that this guy came over from England and just really tore the roof off the troubadour in Los Angeles, which is what happened. And telling that story using a song like Crocodile Rock, where there's that la, 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 like who's mm. not going to sing along? How right. infectious is that? And mm. if you're in a tiny rock club and maybe you're hearing that song for the first time, it's going to it's gonna grab you. Like mm-hmm. he, you know, presumably grabbed a lot of folks that night and tore the roof off the place. So mm-hmm. I thought it was still a cool scene, even though it wasn't technically historically accurate now if he would have walked into the troubadour in 1970 and played circle of life or something from the lion king then i would have been like what the hell are you doing because then it's like you're detracting from the story and the theme of the story but you know crocodile rock even though it wasn't historically accurate i still thought it was a very i don't don't think there were any uh like Lion King movies. No, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't make any Lion King references. No, because mm-hmm. technically, uh, the film stopped. The way they described the film was that you know it was mostly his life in the seventies and eighties, right? And, and that they compacted things a little bit. Mm. He didn't actually go to rehab until nineteen ninety, right? Uh, and he got married in eighty four. So that was actually surprised me. Like I didn't know everything about Elton John's life. Like uh, the fact that he came out and was um, you know gay, and then he got married after that. Like mm-hmm. after he kind of knew who he was. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know he did that in that order. Which uh, I found interesting, and of course, it, it was weird that it didn't work out. That, uh, that uh, you know, that marriage. Uh, but uh, let me ask you this, because you you know a lot uh, about Elton John's timeline. Was there anything in the movie that you went, you know, what that's a little too far off the timeline or off what really happened, where it took you out of the movie at all? Or was everything kind of just like um, you know, little tweaks? Little tweaks. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there was never anything where I was just like, ah, they screwed that up. Right. There were a couple things that I was, like, mildly disappointed they didn't go into a little bit, although I see why they didn't. Like, for instance, you know, in The Troubadour, he had just a random band of locals that they put together for him. In reality, he traveled with his band, and right. he was close mm-hmm. to some of his band. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Davy Johnstone in particular was his guitar player for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um so I was a little bummed that they didn't touch on the band at all, but I understand why they didn't because you only had so much time to work with. Right. And the 
big relationship story was Elton John and Bernie Toppin. Right. So I understand why they didn't. I mean, it, I, I thought it would have been neat if they did, but but I totally get mm-hmm. why they couldn't dive into that. Um, and then one scene in particular that I really thought they nailed it, and I was anticipating a lot, was your song. Mm-hmm. When they write your song. Because I've heard, I've actually heard Elton John tell that story from stage like Mm -hmm. before he'd play it he would tell the story about your song and the whole theme of it is that that was when they first realized wow we are on to something and they were 18 years old and bernie just hands him this slip of paper with your song written on it Mm -hmm. and elton starts you know, fumbling around on the piano and comes up with a melody. And and that is how they work. That's why they cranked out so many songs because he was just such a prodigy on piano. A lot of that stuff was fairly accurate in the movie. He could, his ears were that good. Mm -hmm. And he did have that much of a knack. And Bernie was just the dude with the pen that was happy to scroll that stuff out. And and they worked very well together. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was really anticipating a scene about when they put together your song. Had that scene not been in the movie, I would have been very disappointed. Uh, But it was in there, and I thought they nailed it. Were they literally sitting at breakfast at his parents' house? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter. They captured the theme of it big time where it's like they were these kids, and they were like, whoa, this Mm. is happening. And it's supposed to be a a very innocent song and a very kind of like, you know, you're feeling love for the first time. Maybe you've never even experienced Mm. it. You might even be a virgin, which who knows? Maybe he was at that time. He was only Mm. 18. But uh, I thought they really nailed it with that scene. Well, is... uh um, on the flip side of that, was it accurate that they did have a falling out at some point and then they, they kind of got back together, him and Bernie? Yeah, they mm-hmm. did. Uh, they definitely had a falling out. Now, that now that's goes along with the whole they definitely jumped around the right. music catalog to kind of fit the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at that point, they started singing Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road came out in, I think, 73. So mm-hmm. that that would not have been like the song that was kind of going on in the... In the uh, in their uh, career at that point in time. But it was the perfect song in terms of the theme. Right. Uh, So, you know, that's another, for instance. And then when they were auditioning for that label, like um, he played, I guess that's why they call it the blues in that audition. That song came way later. I I highly doubt, unless he, for some reason, shelved that song for years and years, Mm -hmm. that that's the song he would have played. So so there were little things like that, that, you know, if, if if you followed Elton John's music a little bit, um, you know, you would notice, but it, it certainly didn't detract from the story at all. Right. The thing I found, and, and to hear you, you know, I, I didn't know any of that timeline or that that stuff, but it, it makes, the fact that it it didn't really take you out of the movie that much says, I think, it, it gives credit to the filmmakers for, they made this, we're going to do this stylized interpretation of his story. So like we are at the Troubadour and- they just wanted to capture the emotion of that magical night. Right. Because, yeah, I'm pretty sure historically the audience didn't rise they three didn't feet float. if they didn't yeah. float. You right. know what I mean? So yeah, they yeah, just, yeah. so, okay. I mean, the, uh, apparently the, the drugs were good back then, but I'm sure <laughs> that didn't. <laughs> they weren't that good. They weren't yeah. that good. Um, they, they weren't helium. <laughs> yeah, so it was like, that was, they were just stylizing that. The whole movie is just a, like, uh, like, a, like a musical, a stylized interpretation of it. So it really you're allowed a little more license if you're going to if you're going to do that with the timeline and to where it's it's I think that's had they gone more traditional biopic mm-hmm. um linear you know this is how it played out and tried to make it more of just like a dramatized documentary which some biopics do then it for me at least it would make me go oh man more than this, I'm just like, okay, well, they're doing a crazy stylized version. The movie starts where he comes in a crazy outfit and he's in a 12-step meeting saying, I, I, I had all these anger issues and I mm-hmm. fought and did, slept around and did drugs and all the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So that was like, okay, cool. You set the tone from this tart that it's just going to be a, a, a an emotional, um, you know, song (laughs) the whole the whole thing is going to be the arc of an emotional song yeah i think when you're making that type of movie like you do have an obligation to do the story justice and 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 to kind of stay on theme but you 
I feel like you, you definitely have some creative license within it to, to kind of like bend some things here and there to, to kind of just tell the story you're trying to tell, mm -hmm. you know, so, and, and I thought they did a really good job at that, you know, I mean, and I know some people, they go to like a rock flick like that expecting it to be 100% historically accurate and it's kind of like, I mean, I don't, I personally don't. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm not seeing a documentary and I know that. Right. Uh, you know, if that was a documentary and they were like, he opened with Crocodile Rock when clearly you can just look it up and find <laughs> out he didn't, then mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you really shit the bed on your documentary, but mm -hmm. this was not a documentary. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. right. You're going for the dramatic interpretation of how that went. Right. And showing us, you know, the thing I found was interesting was, was all of the sort of like, emotional uh, beginnings or history of these songs, whether that was historically accurate, I don't know. But like, it was interesting to see, well, oh, this is probably where his his first idea for this song came up was, mm -hmm. was this event from his childhood or high school or well, early days on the road or whatever. What's interesting about reconciling that is that if you look at the way the songs were written, he didn't write the lyrics to them anyway. Right. So the fact that, you know, you're you're putting the lyrics to these songs that someone else wrote and relating them to specifically Elton John's life is uh, kind of like a, putting a puzzle together. I thought it was yeah. really well well done because they did match. It's almost you know, they, like just in anyone's personal life, you hear a song and it reminds you of a time in your life when that song first came out. Right. Mm -hmm. Like where were you? Like anytime I hear anything off of U2's Rattle and Hum, mm -hmm. I think of college because that U2 was just blowing up at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. Rattle and Hum came out. I was living, I was going to school in Tucson, Arizona. They shot Rattle and Hum at Arizona State um, just up the, you know, 90 miles up the road from me. And it was like a huge... That was a big deal. Was that the video where they had like the outside impromptu concert? Yeah, that was in the stadium. And they did that last minute and they said, and I'll never forget this. They were like, tickets were five bucks. One of my dorm mates got tickets and it was over Christmas break. And my parents had already bought my plane ticket to fly back home. And I was like, can I change it to see this concert? Like, oh, it'd be too much money to change the ticket. So I could have been at that concert, <laughs> but instead I went home for some fucking dumb Christmas dinner. <laughs> Man, I was I was in a rough situation uh, in college too, where I uh, I scored Morrissey tickets, and it was I had this uh, ride board, um, like like it was back when I'm sure they still have this, but right. I'm sure it's all online now. But uh, and at the time, I, I think it might have been it was like kind of online, but also there was still a physical thing up, like when I was in college. But it was like a ride board. Where you could find people like, hey, I'm driving to sure. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for the break. And, and then you would like kind of get involved in a ride board and you would all share gas and then just, you know, go somewhere in the city and, and they'd drop you off or whatever. Uh, and it was all students. And, and so I, I was on a Pittsburgh drive and there were like three or four of us and I ended up scoring Morrissey tickets. And I was like, oh, man, what do I do? And I was like, I could just say they changed a final or something like I wasn't sure what I was gonna do <laughs> but I straight up just told the truth and uh, everybody was a music major so they were like oh yeah man we'll just leave in the morning <laughs> oh, <laughs> they were great. really cool mm -hmm. about nice. it <laughs> I was so happy I was like yes <laughs> nice yeah so I think that's going that, that to me is what they were sort of doing was like since as Chris said he didn't write these songs but this song was sort of could be or describe this part of his life at yeah. this timeline of his life since the movie really just kind of focuses on the early you know it doesn't really the end go through the ending well so at the ending they they pretty much just sort of hinted that he got out of rehab and mm -hmm. turned his life around which he did i mean yes. he's been sober for about 30 years mm -hmm. uh i'm pretty sure he doesn't make a dime personally off of his tours anymore i'm pretty sure he donates all of that Wow. Uh, yeah, too. I, I believe it's like an AIDS foundation. Right. So mm -hmm. he, you know, hasn't made any money off of his own touring in, in a long time, to my knowledge. And, um, you know, he's happily married now. And that, that's why he, you know, he has kids now. So he announced his retirement yeah. and his farewell tour. That tour is going on for three years. So you still got time if you want to see him. Isn't he even in his 70s? 
I think he's yeah, he's he's seventy one. I want to say seventy one. And because I, I saw him in the, in the photo, he's like he's holding a baby. I'm like, isn't is he late sixties? Is he seventy one? Yeah, so, no, he's he has yeah. young kids. Yeah, but uh, he was what eighteen, nineteen years old in nineteen sixty nine. That mm-hmm. was fifty years ago. Seventy two. He's seventy two. There we mm-hmm. go. So he was so twenty two in nineteen sixty nine. Yep. So uh, when his kids graduate college, he'll be in his nineties. Something like that around there. Pushing it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so he, he wants to be home more, so he's going to do that. So so yeah, that was all fairly I can accurate. understand that at uh, in your 70s after you've already conquered the globe with your career. Right, yeah. I can see yeah. you spend a little more time uh, at home. Yeah, you just mm-hmm. want to chill out at home, not yeah. too much. Yeah, I, I don't blame it. him. <laughs> I can't say I blame the guy. But uh, but that's another thing. If you want to talk about the, uh, you know, like the timeline with the songs, uh-huh. the song that they used to really capture that moment was I'm Still Standing, which, you know, and the way they told the story was that Bernie brought him those lyrics in rehab. Right. And he saw I'm Still Standing, which that's basically what I'm Still Standing is about. Yeah. You know, it's kind of about you overcame something big Mm -hmm. and you're still standing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's a beautiful song. And then I think, you know, they showed some footage from that actual music video. Oh, I love the way they digitally put him into the music video. I really liked it, too. I thought that was really cool. I really liked it, too. Because I thought, oh, well, they're going to just recreate the video. And I thought, oh, no, this is... I remember those, you know, leopard pants or whatever they, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They, like the, all the '80s stuff, and because uh, I, I had to look at it twice, and I was like, "All right, well, they're showing the video. It's probably Elton John." I'm like, "No, it's it's Taron Egerton. He's 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 in the video." So they they digitally, um, uh, you know, layered him in. Yeah, mm-hmm. which was really cool, and and I think there was sort of just some symbolism there too, because like in reality. Uh, by the time he was actually in rehab, I'm Still Standing had been out for a number of years. Mm. That came out in the early 80s. Again, he didn't go to rehab until 1990. So, you know, they kind of... But that was just such a perfect song to, like, you know, put a period on that story. Where it's like, you know, what really happens, he gets out and he turns his life around. Mm. And that song kind of, you know, encompasses that. You got to leave something for the sequel. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The Elton John Cinematic yeah. Universe, yes. is that the uh, <laughs> trilogy that yep. they've set up? Um, Eminem comes in as a supervillain later. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the most memorable scenes in the film for me were, I mean, it's the early stuff. When he starts like, oh, here come the drug problems. I don't know. I watch a lot of documentaries and I've watched a lot of rock documentaries. So it's always like... Yep, they we got they got hooked on the thing, and that mm. either drew on their career, or they got sober, and then they had a second act. So yeah. that's the. <laughs> this is and like, where's the uh, where's the the parasitic music producer or the the uh, the, the record executive? Right is he there somewhere. Oh, there he is. Yeah. Okay. So some of that was like, okay, I just sort of like the. And I'll make a reference to that. He'll still make money after he kills yourself. After he kills himself. Right. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's sorry. Right. Well, well, the 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 wide eyed. You know, seeing, even though this, I I mean, it is a cliche, but it's also not because this actually happens. There's always somebody in some megastar's early life that went, y'all never, you know, somebody told Elvis, I'll keep driving a truck. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. these four guys from Liverpool with the haircuts, no way. You know, somebody, somebody has always said that to someone. What, four guys from Liverpool? They were a band. Oh God! They're like, um, they're like an acoustic. Uh, were they like lo-fi? Or yeah, like, like a lo-fi, lo-fi bluegrass. They still around? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of them are, I yeah. think. Um, they uh, they started with an acapella album. Yeah, That's they're funny. like an acapella. Like a lo-fi Elvis. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so that's always interesting, and to see the like, you know, the fear. Of, and also to put it in its in its historical context of like, you're gonna go to the states. There's no internet. There's no cable TV. Mm-mm. You are subject to records that are shipped over. Radio <laughs> interviews and word of mouth. And word yeah. of mouth and magazines. Oh yeah. And newsreel footage mm-hmm. that you watch ahead of move. You had to go to the movies. You know, maybe there was some TV interviews you saw. Again, on your local news that only came on at 10 o'clock at night or whatever. So it was so limited, your view of everything. So then there's just like, Holly, LA is, you have no idea. 
you you can watch video after video and listen to podcast after podcast today and not know what the fuck it's like when you get to show business, mm-hmm. let alone back then where you... You had no idea. You had no idea. And just that whole, like, that thing of... The culture shock just from coming from, you know, London to L.A. Is insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back then, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like... And also, it's the late 60s, so the Beatles have blown up. Yeah. They are the most mega everything. I mean, like, so that, like, you're following that, and then... You know, he, he gets in, this is, you're at the Troubadour, and he goes, God, I thought it'd be bigger. Like, yeah. <laughs> this super hyped club is just like mm. a small little room, right. you know? It's not that big. Like, we just saw a show at the Whiskey, you and I, Ron. I was just mm-hmm. going to say, the Whiskey, that's one another one that you go, like, this, I thought... It's not that big at all. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, not, it's got yeah. a little balcony, but it's cool and intimate, and it makes it, the mystique of it is even more so, because you walk in there and you go damn some mm-hmm. huge acts were in this like stadium right. acts mm-hmm. were here yeah. that must have been amazing and so they did it i i love i particularly like those moments of it's like in walk the line where johnny cash goes in and it's sam um what's his name from sun records sam um, sam phillips sam phillips right and he plays this song because he's playing what he thinks is going to get him a record deal. It's not mm-hmm. who he is authentically. And Sam Phillips goes, Mr. Cat, he stop, 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 stop. And he's like, um, and he's like, he's like, I don't believe you. And he's like, oh, you don't. And he, he tries to get offended. Like, you don't like the word of, because he's doing a gospel song. Like, you don't like the word of God or whatever. And he goes, let's say you're in a, you're, get hit by a car and you're lying in a ditch and it's the end of your life and you got one song to tell God and the whole world about your time on this earth. Is it gonna be about your peace from within and everything else or would it be about something else? And then he goes, do you got any problems with the Air Force? He goes, no, I do. (laughs) And then he just starts playing and his bandmates are like, Mm-hmm. What the fuck is he doing? Yeah. And it's this moment. Did it actually play out that way? Who cares? Right. It's right. it's the it's cinematic moment. It's the cinematic moment where where this guy who's just anyone can just learn how to play music and sing songs, and mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. But this moment where he went, I gotta be, and it's all of that stuff where he's on the where where he's in the in the band that's backing up the Motown singers that are that are touring throughout the UK, mm-hmm. and and I said this in the regular episode, but he goes, he asked that the one like lead singer, you know, who's this like black dude from Detroit or whatever, and he's like, I want to be a songwriter. He goes, fucking write some songs, yeah, <laughs> you know. And then he's telling him, he goes, How do I get to be a songwriter? Yeah, <laughs> and then he also songs. says that moment, <clears throat> he goes, God, I forget the wording on this. Maybe you guys can remember it, where he says to Elton John you got to figure out who you're supposed to be. I forget the wording on that, but but he's telling... Well, you have to kill who you were to be who you're supposed to who become. Who you're supposed yeah. to become. Yeah, something mm-hmm. along those lines. Yeah, something yeah. along those lines where you're like, oh. And then it's like, that makes sense. And then it's like, we're in Hollywood, so you better bring some big outfits. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, okay. You know, he's this working class kid in the UK, you know, who's still not figuring out if he's gay. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he's like, oh, we, we, we moved in, we got a record deal. And they're back with the, the band is back in the UK again. And he's like, and he's like, and Elton's dating the, the woman who's a landlady. And the one guy goes, does she know you're a fag? Yeah. <laughs> because that was the guy that kissed him backstage because right. mm-hmm. they're making eyes at each other. And that guy's obviously gay and knows mm-hmm. he's gay. And then he's like, uh, hey, Elton, you're gay. Yeah. Cut the bullshit, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like all those- You're not going to out yourself. I'm outing you right now. I'm going to out you right table. now. We've, we've had, we made out behind, backstage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So all of those cool moments were the ones that I really liked interwoven- with the big song numbers that were these like fantasies. Oh, that reminds me too when you mentioned that uh, that scene because I wasn't aware of this too. In the '60s and the early '70s, did a lot of uh, soul and gospel singers from America tour the UK? Was it like a big thing? Yeah, I mean, so to my knowledge, and I think this sort of speaks to the whole like, yeah, it had to have just blown his mind when he went to the states for the first time, mm-hmm. like. 
the way like I've always read about it is is that over there it there was still a bit of a subculture element to it. So there was sort of like a culture shock on both ends. So like, you know, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger they were really big blues nerds. Like like the way I talk about music here, like that's how they would talk about Muddy Waters and, and Howlin' Wolf mm-hmm. uh, and all these blues guys from the United States. And they found out about them via these little clubs and cafes uh, over in England. And it was still... A lot of people knew about it, but not everybody knew about it. It wasn't necessarily like the big thing on the marquee f- per se. But then some of these blues guys would go over there and they would just be like they were heroes. They were worshipped right. by people like Mick Jagger and stuff. And they're like, "Wow, what's going? You guys love this stuff. That's mm-hmm. interesting." You know, similarly, Elton John. You know, like American music and rock and roll. You know, there's still a bit of a kind of subculture thing to it. It was a lot bigger at that point because the Beatles had happened and the Stones had happened. But still, like you don't necessarily know, or at least I'd imagine they didn't necessarily know. Is my album the album that everybody walked to the record store and bought the day it came out? And it was on every sandwich board uh, for my, you know, at, at every record store in every city in America. And they went and they bought it. And then when you go and you play to a packed house and everyone's stoked, you find out that, yes, it was. Mm. Yeah, that 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 is true. I've So many rock documentaries, any British band in that era all kind of fell in love with american blues and and soul music and they all they all knew them so those acts were treated it's the same thing with the jazz musicians in the 50s and 60s were having a hard time getting work but then they'd go to paris and they were they walked on water right you know like coltrane and all those guys that had a very similar thing because the so music like david hasselhoff in germany got it yeah okay. it's, yeah. it's <laughs> you could not have pinpointed yeah. it better chris <laughs> Well, and the, and the other cool they're thing. all like they're all mus- musical David Hasselhoff, yeah. <laughs> Jerry Lewis. It's all the yeah. same thing. Well, the other cool thing, going back to the film, like like there were all those kind of little subtle thematic clues throughout the film, and and this whole topic that we're talking about right now, that was in the film too, and it was in the scene when they were sitting there. Uh, and, you know, Bernie was talking about lyrics, El- Elton was talking mm-hmm. about music, and they were in the coffee shop, and they started talking about their love for country and western. Mm-hmm. And they started singing country and western, and they were just rocking out, having the time of their lives, because they love this music so much, and they have that in common. Other people in the cafe, if you notice, they weren't singing along with them. They were kind of looking around like, what are those weirdos doing? Mm-hmm. Shut up, you know? So, so I think that was sort of like, you know, another sort of... Uh, you know, like metaphorical, like, like symbolism, imagery going on, kind of telling that part of the story. And, too. and also, too, it, it, it also helps. And this is this is very historically accurate. These two British teenagers are singing American country and Western music. They're outliers. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like it's that it's that. So it, it also creates the like you're going to America. Yeah. This is it. You know, and it's like oh, this is where all this crazy music that we're the only ones in the whole cafe care about. Mm-hmm. We're going to the land where they make it. Right. And it's this that that thing and all that sort of stuff still exists. Everyone always wants to discover the obscure hidden thing from the other place or whatever. But that was sort of the the beginning of that. Remember when you know when when we were in our twenties listening to stuff, and then if stuff would get too popular, we wouldn't like. We it hated anymore. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we always. I remember yeah. that with movies or anything. Mm-hmm. Any. I wanted the thing no one had heard about. When right. I first saw my buddy had videotapes of the prisoner. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck is this? This is before the internet. I was like, holy shit, I'm in. You know, any weird, obscure thing like that, mm-hmm. Kurosawa, any of that stuff, I'm oh, yeah. And then, you know, now it's all on the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, what other scenes stand out for you, Ron? So I like the way that a lot of the scenes did a really good job at, at really telling the story of the players involved. And nobody, I, I would say even Elton himself, comes out looking like a saint. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the scene in California, for instance, where, you know, B- Bernie is really uh, enjoying that party and enjoying the attention she's getting from that girl. Meanwhile, like Elton's kind of sad and not feeling it and, and sort of needs someone to talk to for just a couple minutes and Bernie mm-hmm. can't be bothered. I'm sure that's a theme that popped up throughout their career where Elton, you know, Bernie Toppin probably still to this day can walk out in public and maybe he'll get recognized once or twice. You know, in in the age of the Internet, maybe he'll get recognized once or twice. I'm sure for years and years he got recognized 
Not at all. When Elton John had that residency in Las Vegas and Bernie Taupin's name was in the marquee with Elton John's, he could probably still walk around right, the right, casino right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. Because yeah. it's like, and, and some people might not even know, they might say, who's that? Like, mm-hmm. like I think, I mean, I meet people all the time that they didn't know Elton John didn't write his own lyrics. Mm-hmm. But um, so that being said, he didn't have to deal with that part of not being able to go out in public. And, right. you know, at one point in the movie where they were arguing, Elton John brings that up. So I'm sure there were probably moments where Bernie was able to kind of enjoy the glam out of, of it all without mm-hmm. having to put up with the, um, you know, without having to put up with the negative effects of all that. Right. Similarly, you know, Bernie was just sort of enjoying the attention he was getting from girls. Meanwhile, Elton is, is dealing with the struggles of coming to terms with his sexuality and figuring right. out who he is. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there was a little bit of tension that that Mm -hmm. happened as a result of that. And they kind of told that story, you know, that they kind of showed how, you know, his dad just wasn't able to give him any affection. Mm -hmm. Um, And they showed kind of how his mom was imperfect, but his dad was clearly the most strained relationship of the bunch. Um, And the one thing I felt like they skimmed on a little bit was how you know, some of his mom's frustrations towards him were likely justified. You know, like the scene in the restaurant where she's like, "You're, I'm so disappointed. You know, I mean, that sort of seemed a bit abrupt, but in reality, in the real timeline, mm-hmm. he would have been spiraling for about almost a decade. Mm. Uh, you know, additionally, it's not like, oh, I screwed my marriage up, and she's like, you're a disappointment. You screwed mm. a marriage up. People screw marriages up. It happens. No, in reality, he screwed a marriage up, and he continued to spiral for years and have been spiraling prior to that. And mm-hmm. she's watching this person who's accumulated a lot of wealth, you know, drinking himself to death, basically. Mm-hmm. So, but I, but I thought that those scenes still kind of delivered on those themes. You know, mm-hmm. you found out that, uh, you know, his grandmother, for instance, you know, did she actually drive him to that audition? I'm not sure exactly. Like, I'm sure we could look it up. But, mm-hmm. um, but what we do know is that her encouragement and her support and her nurturing he might not have become Elton John otherwise because she did encourage him to sit at that piano. She did notice his talent. She did take, you know, a very big interest in him and and gave him a lot of love that it seems like his parents uh, definitely lacked on. Right. So, so, you know, that theme, like I I thought they did a really good job conveying those themes. And and I thought that was like really cool. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I really liked the the whole movie and the way it was, uh, was put together. And I thought it like, it really had a nice focus on the emotional core of everything instead of trying to get every, um, biographical point in the right order and uh, jammed into the, the, the movie. I thought it, you know, creatively it went in a a good direction for sure. I mean, there's certain places where I would like, Oh, I would like to have seen something creative with that, but I don't even know what it could have been. Like, like I was saying, like the asshole movie promoter or the, uh, the the manager and stuff, you know, there's always that scene. They're nice at first. They sign them. They become a huge asshole and basically are parasites. You know, yeah. that, that never – I haven't seen that not – I've seen that in every single, right. you know, uh, biopic. I mean, the one place I think – you know, it, it might have been toned down a little bit. Was uh, remember the Ray Charles documentary? Yeah, he right? left them. Yeah, he left them, and it was like uh, we made a lot of money together, didn't we? We sure did, Ray. Good luck to you. Yeah, you know that. You know that kind of thing. You didn't have, um, you know, a parasite just you know sucking the life out of mm-hmm. you and money out of you for the entire time. So, but I really feel like that's something that, like, well, no, that's real. That happens to all these musicians. You can't sugarcoat or gloss over it if it's part of the story it's right. just we've seen it so many times <laughs> i mean the one thing like you know the, i brought up the band like i wish they maybe right. would have touched on the band some mm-hmm. i understand why they couldn't and the other thing I, I was hoping for a little bit and i feel like you mm-hmm. know bohemian rhapsody actually did this a lot and elton john's movie didn't do it at all which i was a little surprised by was they didn't really dive into any of the particulars for an album and I was kind of hoping that they might do that at one point. Like, I was mm-hmm. curious, for instance, like, like Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, it opens up with uh, Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding, which is like a kind of 
double song and is 11 minutes long. And I was curious, like, was there any label pushback at one point? Like, hey, wait, you're the hit maker. Why are we opening up with this 11-minute track on this album? I don't know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I would imagine there probably was at some point. Maybe there wasn't, but I doubt there was. So I was curious if they were going to do, like, a dramatic in- interpretation of something mm-hmm. like that. Or, you know, like, like touch on, like, Mad Man Across the Water or mm-hmm. one of the earlier albums or then one of the later albums. They didn't really do any of that because they kind of just jumped around with the song. So I, I would have liked it if they could have fit something like that in there, mm-hmm. but they didn't. It just wasn't the movie they were making, and that's cool. Right. Yeah, I mean, overall, um, I really liked it. I liked the um, creative decisions that were made, and I, I think we're going to be hearing it about this movie again um, over Oscar time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. I hope mm-hmm. it gets some nominations because it should because it, really, it was really inventive, and it really broke down for me... You know, I've always liked Elton's music. I was never like the biggest fan or whatever, but I always mm-hmm. liked his music. But then how some of his songs are like, it, it's all the emotional depth and power of those songs. For me, it was broken down more just by seeing sort of the history and how they shot it. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I also started, <laughs> I started laughing at that song, you know, It's a Little Bit Funny. What's the name of that song? Your song. Your song. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, I just have to tell the story. I did this play, um, a while ago, probably 20 years ago. And it was the last night of the play. It was, um, God, what was it? Anyway, the play I did with my friend Tom Vitorino and Jeanette about, um, he would play a blind guy. It was our last show. And, you know, a thing when you do a play, you give flowers or presents on the mm-hmm. last performance and we're there and we're giving them to the crew and everybody. And I'm, I'm like, Tom, did you, did you, did you bring anything? And he goes, uh, no, I just made a video of us. It's a little bit funny. <laughs> and, then <he> just walking, <laughs> and then he started posing like he was doing a slideshow while singing that song. <laughs> and I've fucking been laughing about it for 20 goddamn years. He did give me an amazing gift and it's because of that song. And so anytime I hear it, I start fucking laughing and I think of Tom Vitorino on that play. Because <laughs> this gift was his song and that one was for yeah. you. It was for me and he did it and it was so goddamn funny. And he just, yeah. it's a little bit funny. Now that's a time I wish people had iPhones at that time. Right. Yeah, what <laughs> Just beautiful. God, why? Oh, I can't remember. This play was such a cool play. Was he played a blind? Oh, God. Yeah, was was, it, was he place... a samurai? No, he took place in Hell's Kitchen. Uh, pardon? <laughs> no! <laughs> a stage play, you jackasses. We didn't do a stage play of a Marvel comic. <laughs> um, mm, did Spider-Man turn off the dark? Yeah, so. <laughs> good point. Really valid point. With you uh, two as the sound between the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how Elton could that John's, go wrong? Elton John's songs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it it brought some more emotional and more connect. I was a little more connected to the to the lyrics of these songs more because of this this movie. So it, this movie did a great job. It was entertaining and. Wonder if it'll sell any records. Oh boy! <laughs> oh yeah, it's the yeah. downloads must have gone up through the roof. Yeah, and the Spotify subscriptions or whatever, mm-hmm. because I—that's what I ran out of. There went, oh, I wish I had a bunch of Elton John songs on my mm-hmm. phone right now. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, why don't I just get a Spotify subscription? Now I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I should get a Spotify mm-hmm. subscription. Yeah, I, I just have so many memories just associated mm-hmm. with his his music because it's like I, I remember like family vacations. We would always, you know, we would drive to the beach or whatever, and you know. My fi- you know, my parents like classic rock because that's who introduced me to it. And so we'd be in the car and they'd be like, oh, what do you want to listen to? And I always requested that Elton John cassette that I would later destroy from listening to it so much. Mm-hmm. But I would always request that Elton John cassette because I knew they wouldn't put on Nirvana, right? My right. parents weren't into Nirvana, <laughs> but Elton John they would put on. So that was always my request. And I remember at one point my sister, and, and she must have been really little at the time, because I, I think she was like in a car seat even back then. This was a long, you know, like she was really young, and I, I was pretty young too. And uh, I was I was like, let's do Elton John again. Elton John, put the Elton John cassette in. And, and my parents were like, okay, we took a break from it for like 20 minutes. We'll put it back in. Mm-hmm. And like my sister just started throwing a fit, and she, she yelled, and she was just like, I can't listen to any more Elvis John. (laughs) And she called him Elvis John for like a while. And it was like, I got the biggest kick out of it. So, all right. Well, she was a Nirvana fan. What are you going to do? Yeah, she she wanted Nirvana, I think. (laughs) So I'm going to look this up. I got to look this up because it's a James Gagan wrote the play. I'm going to go fucking nuts. This play was such an important part of my life. Um, And and you're sure it wasn't Daredevil. Yeah, it did. (laughs) 
or Zaratwichi, the uh, blind swordsman. Oh, Zaratwichi, yeah. yeah. I did a, I did a, uh, I did a, a Zaratwichi. Mm-hmm. Um, James Gagan, dang it. Keep talking. Mm-hmm. I'm going to search this. Blind Fury with Rick Overton? Blind Fury. <laughs> and That's Rutger Howard? Yep, that was a stage it. show? We did, yep, we did a stage show, <laughs> Rutger Howard stage show. Yeah. It was, it was... Um, was it Book of Eli? The, uh, yeah, yeah, the we did. That's right. All of these are accurate. All of these things you would. Was it Springsteen on Broadway? Yeah, it or was Springsteen <laughs> on Broadway. Um, shit. Uh, God damn it. So, any other uh, while you're looking for that? Any closing thoughts on uh, uh, Rocket Man? I recommend it. Yeah. I recommend it. I, I'm trying to think if there's any other scenes that really stuck out to me. But but yeah, like the, the summary for me was the Your mm-hmm. Song scene. I thought they nailed. I thought they nailed that yep. scene. Um, I liked the way they did the themes for all the characters in his life. I thought they told the story very mm-hmm. well. Light sensitive. There we go. Ah, there we go. That's the play I did. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful play. And I thought that actor was incredible, by the way. I mean, we're talking about, you know, like hearing about it later during the uh, the awards. And, and I could see, what, what's... Taron Egerton? Yes, thank mm-hmm. you. I, I thought he did a really good job as Elton John. Yeah. Imagine what it would have been like if James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe were considered to play Elton John. Were they would really? have been a very different movie. Mm-hmm. That would have been... Dan- yeah, no, I think they made... I, I really liked him. I, yeah, I thought he did a really, really good job. Once you see the movie, you're like, you can't really... Imagine anybody else. Right. Yeah, that's him, true, yeah. too. Yeah, that's so, fair. Because um, he did he did a really good job, for sure. So, all right. That is our uh, spoiler app. That's it. 47? No. 95. 470 was the regular episode. Uh, spoiler app 95 in the books. Lock it down. Send it away. Um, Ron Placone and I are going on the road. Uh, progressive comedy tour. his own plugs. Well, I'm gonna tee. I'm gonna tee up his plug because yes. we're we're doing it together. Ron, you and I are going to the East Coast. We what are. The, are. What are the dates and cities we're going to? We Ron? are going June 12th. We're going to be in Washington D.C. June 13th, Baltimore, Maryland. June 14th, 15th, Philadelphia, PA. Small venue. We're doing two nights. June 16th, New Haven, Connecticut. June 17th, New York City, baby. Get your tickets, don't wait. And June 19th, Boston, Massachusetts. You can get those tickets at romplacone.com or grahamelwood.com. And before that, June 11th, epiclivestream.com. Join us on the net to uh, to make sure we keep a free and open wow. internet. He's like you with his dates. He knows every single one. You gotta memorize them, baby. We got to. Mm-hmm. Get you got to. And then July 27th, Progressive Comedy Tour returns to Vegas, baby. Vegas! And so. we're probably going to go to the women, the WNBA All-Star Game that day on the 27th. Oh, that'll yep. be fun. So join mm-hmm. us at the WNBA mm-hmm. All-Star Game and then come see us tell jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll tell jokes after. So, all right. That is our show, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the movie uh, if you haven't already. Sometimes I know you listen to the spoiler apps to see if you want to see the movie. Occasionally people do that. but uh, um, Or my favorite is uh, I listen to the spoiler app because I'm never going to see the movie. <laughs> yep. Either way. Either way. I Enjoy. Hope, I hope you, you enjoyed like it. it. Um, so That's it. All right. Ron Pacone, thank you for doing the show. Thanks for having me. Aaron Brungard, thank you for working the All Things Comedy uh, buttons and uh, whatever knobs and levers you're pulling back there to make this show Light happen. speed. Yeah, I don't know, whatever light bulb tubes you've got to screw, <laughs> screw in. Vacuum tubes. Vacuum tubes you've got to screw in there. Uh, I don't know how your science works back there. Um, and uh, my name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember... Han, Han shot, shot first. Go watch Light Sensitive. It's a fantastic play. Mm-hmm. It's got ninjas in it. Nope. 100% wrong. <laughs>